there should be a striking difference between the way tr- Christians talk and relate versus the way the world talks and relates. So just think with me for a minute about how the world relates. What would you say is the overall tone and tenor of a lot of the discourse out there today? It's pretty bitter, isn't it? Uh, It's cringeworthy, in fact. I heard a news saying, daily dose of cringe. Uh, There is a biting spirit on social media. I could go onto the Georgia Facebook page right now, and I could see conflicts out in the open that should be in private. I could see accusations made that are foolish. I could see outright name-calling and venting that are extremely hurtful to our community's sense of togetherness. I could see all of that in less than a minute's worth of scrolling, I guarantee you. In fact, I did it last night just to see, and there it was. And that's just our Georgia Facebook page. Think about the firebrandishness of talk radio and cable news. Think about the mudslinging and name-calling and under-the-bus-throwing nature of much of our cultural moment. It's, it's so pervasive, it's hard not to notice, and it's hard not to get caught up in it. It seems like more and more, there's actually less and less self-control, reasonability, and frankly, just good old-fashioned kindness and grace. And while it just kind of feels yuck, it does give us as Christians an incredible opportunity to stand out as different. But I would actually go further and I would say it doesn't just give us an opportunity to stand out as different. We have an obligation to stand out as different. In an increasingly touchy And at odds with one another world, Jesus would have us, brothers and sisters, be a community of faith that others can observe as radically different in how we relate to one another than everybody out there relates to everybody else. Now, I know that as I'm saying this, you are saying amen in your hearts, and I am grateful for that. But like James has been doing all along, James is going to turn around and say to you, hey, fantastico. (laughs) I'm glad that you are saying amen. Is that how you are acting, though? You can say amen all day long, James would say. But is this true? Really pervasively true in your life right now? So here's what James wants to wrestle with us on this morning. Here's here's his point. What's really dominating your life? The destructive wisdom of the world or the peacemaking wisdom of heaven? The destructive wisdom of the world or the peacemaking wisdom of heaven? Turn with me to James chapter 3 verse 13. James 3 verse 13. James is towards the end of your Bible. If you're 
new to church and looking at these things. And when I say chapter 3, that's big, bold numbers. And when I say verse 13, that's small numbers. So big, bold 3, small 13. James three 13. I'm going to read through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of good mercy and full of mercy and good fruits, excuse me. Impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James asked the question, who is wise and understanding among you? That's his question. Who is wise? Now he's not asking that question so that his readers throw up an an eager hand like the kindergartner and say, ooh, ooh, me, me, I'm, I'm wise. He asks it so that he gets us to think and examine. And and think about this just in relation to the previous section for a minute. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, he says that the tongue speaks for good or for ill, and it speaks with tremendous effect based upon the wellspring of the heart. So whatever is in your heart is going to come out of your mouth, and this text is an extension of the same thinking. Not only is what's in your heart going to come out of your mouth, it's going to come out of your life. And it's going to reveal whether or not you're wise. And so I think we should just pause and ask the question, am I wise? We should ask two questions to answer that. Number one, what is wisdom? And number two, how is wisdom shown? Number one, what's wisdom? I think many of us would probably associate wisdom with knowledge. So, if you're an expert in a field, you're wise in that field. You know a lot. Wisdom, knowledge. But that's not how the Bible talks about wisdom. Wisdom certainly begins with knowledge, the knowledge of God. But but even here, we've got to let the Bible define that because according to the Bible, the knowledge of God isn't just facts. It's a relationship with God. Listen to one listen to one commentator. This is so good. Quote, knowledge at its deepest is a living out of a deep relationship. The Bible does not say Adam knew Eve through any hesitation to speak plainly about sex. Marriage exemplifies true knowledge, and it also shows that knowledge is dramatically life-changing. So if we really know God, if we really have a relationship with him, We're going to live differently, which meshes beautifully with the Bible's description of wisdom. Deuteronomy 4 says this, I have taught you statutes and rules, Moses speaking, as the Lord God commanded me that you should do them and keep them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, 
For that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. So what is wisdom? It's our relationship with God lived out. It's knowing and it's doing. It's intellectual and behavioral. That's wisdom. Knowing and doing. Which then brings us to our second question. How is wisdom shown? It's shown by our doing. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom is shown or revealed by good conduct. Specifically, works done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is a word that's elsewhere translated gentleness. So in fact, if you're reading in the NASB, the NASB, they just translate the word gentleness. And just by the way, in the culture of the day, meekness was considered weakness by the Greeks. This was not a trait that you wanted to emulate if you wanted to get on up in the world. And I don't think much has changed today either, by, by the way. Uh, I, I kind of have officer training school on the mind, and I was in Boston at a preaching conference, and I was talking to a pastor who is also a Marine Corps officer, and he told me that he almost wasn't commissioned as a Marine Corps officer because an officer candidate school, now this is the Marines, okay, because an officer candidate school, although his academic and physical fitness were top-notch, his drill instructors couldn't get over the fact that he was kind. He wouldn't yell or berate his fellow soldiers when he was assigned to lead and therefore he was perceived as weak and he almost failed because he was too kind. Well, there you have it. I'm in the Air Force, not the Marines. (laughs) But Jesus says his church should be marked by meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And James says, who's wise? Those whose deeds, whose life reflects meekness. And let's just press this down just a little bit further. You know what who is wise is getting at? It's asking who's a Christian? Who has a real relationship with God? Who actually knows God? Those who live like this. Now, that just got uncomfortable. I hope it did. But that's what James has been doing throughout the whole book. He just, he gets uncomfortable with us real fast. And he just presses down the the reality that, that true faith works. It doesn't just speak, it acts. And so with this on the table, now he's just going to show us two different pictures. The first is a picture of counterfeit wisdom which we have got to put off. This cannot characterize us. And then the second is a picture of authentic wisdom, which honestly, brothers and sisters, just looks like Jesus. And this is what we must evermore seek to walk in. So let's let James keep having his way with us in verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So this is counterfeit wisdom. And I got three questions. What does it look like? Where does it come from? And where does it lead? So what does it look like? Looks like jealousy and bitterness. These words are mentioned twice in the verses. Verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. By the way, just take a step back. Notice, you're going to notice something as we go through this. Everything James talks about here is in the context of relationships. This is all relational. This is all about how we relate to one another as the body of Christ. Do we relate to one another in jealousy? Wanting something we don't have that somebody else does have? Or do we relate to one another in selfish ambition? Uh, This gets at what's really motivating us as we live out our lives together. The question is, is the glory of God and the building up of the body chief in our motivation? Or is it more us that's chief in our motivation? How might we know if we're operating in jealousy and selfish ambition? How would we know that? How might we diagnose if jealousy and selfish ambition are becoming an issue and problematic reality in our hearts? Well, we could ask ourselves some questions. And, and let me just start with me to make it easy on you. As a pastor... I need to ask myself how I would feel if Georgia Plain Baptist or Northside Baptist up in St. Albans, how would I feel if those two churches became clearly, evidently, patently much more blessed by God than our church? Wonderful growth, wonderful maturity, training up leaders. How would I feel? Would I be happy? If I was, that'd be a good indicator that jealousy and selfish ambition aren't at play. But if I was negative or down or a little cranky, and you might not see this, but my wife would, or critical of everything that they did, if that was going on, then that would be an indicator that there's selfish ambition (laughs) and jealousy in my heart. That really what's going on is that I want what God is giving them. That's the very definition of jealousy. And I'm not content with the kingdom of God expanding unless my little outpost of the kingdom of God is expanding. That's the very definition, or expression rather, of selfish ambition. It's all about me. You see? So just turn the flashlight inward here and ask yourself some questions. How would you feel when God blesses your brother or sister? And maybe it's best to say this. How would you feel when he blesses your brother or sister with something really good and something that you've really been wanting? Like another single gets engaged. Like another mom is the one the other ladies are trending to go to for parenting help, not you. Like somebody else asked to speak at, at the event instead of you. Or you weren't asked to be the assistant home group leader, but he was. How, how do you feel when your brother or your sister is just clearly doing so well professionally, but you are just 
frankly not. Your brother or sister is doing so well in their family relationships, but you frankly aren't. How do you feel about these things? Are you excited for the blessing of God upon your brother or sister? Are you happy? That is great. Or are you not? You see, if you're not, (laughs) you only laugh if it applies to you. If you're not, that's not a good indication. Now, of course, it's no problem to experience temporary discouragement. Man, my family isn't doing well. I wish my family were doing better. That's no problem. But if it stays there, and if you can't rejoice with those who rejoice, if you can't thank God for his blessing upon your brother or your sister, that is a sign that there is jealousy and selfish ambition at play. That is where the rubber hits the road. Selfish ambition and jealousy are squirrely little things. Subtle little things. Things that sneak into our hearts really easily. But we have to see this as extremely dangerous. Because where this stuff comes from. Look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above. But is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's like the evil trinity. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James wants us to see a contrast. This supposed wisdom is earthly, it's not heavenly. It's unspiritual, not spiritual. It's demonic, not godly. That's, that's horrific. You know, I, I don't actually know if you actually appreciate just how terrible and frightening and demonic such subtle things as jealousy and selfish ambition are. When you think of terrible sins, what pops up under your radar? Pornography? Child trafficking? Abuse? Murder? Fornication? Double life? Jealousy and selfish ambition should be right up there at the top. They are demonic. And look at where they lead. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You know what? Church splits don't happen because of disagreements over the color of the carpet. They happen because jealousy and selfish ambition comes to play when the color of the carpet is decided. Jealousy and selfish ambition are the result, uh, they, they will result rather in disorder and every vile practice. Here are some of the things that they lead to. They lead to bullying. Brother using fear or manipulation to get his way on the deacon board or elder board or ministry team. That's vile. They lead to gossip. Sharing things about others we ought not. That's vile. They lead to slander. Sharing things about others that are going to make the person that we shared about look bad in the eyes of the person we shared with. That's vile. They lead to disorder. And and, and that's just getting at this idea of division in the body. Disharmony in the body. 
Something in the body that isn't looking or, or, or smelling right. Brothers and sisters not relating how you know they should, but you can't quite put your finger on it. A spirit in the air that seems to, to, to be unresolved. A, con, a, a culture in the church where people in the church don't seem to trust one another. They're nervous that if they reveal themselves, it's going to come back and, and bite them. Somebody might use it against them. You see, all of this, all of this is the, is the rotten, stinking, maggot-infested fruit of counterfeit wisdom. And James says, if you're going to participate in this stuff, in the stuff that leads to this stuff, if you're going to contribute to this, don't lie to yourself and say that you're wise. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above. And so just full stop, we've got to do a heart check this morning. You've got to ask yourself, am I an unwitting tool of the devil to sow seeds of disorder and vile practices in the body of Christ? Listen, Satan loves to wreck the church, and he's had a lot of practice wrecking churches. He knows how to do it, and he does it subtly. And jealousy and selfish ambition are two of his go-to tools. It's just so easy to fall prey to these. (laughs) It is so easy to fall prey to these. Take a good look this morning in the mirror of God's word. And just be honest, were you pricked earlier when I was giving examples of what it might look like? Or when I was given examples of what it might look like, were you not pricked by those, but did you immediately think of ones that that would? Are you harboring jealous thoughts? Is is, is the me monster of selfish ambition rising up in your heart? How are these things operating in your thought life or in your conversation? Oh, brother, sister, you have got to repent if they're going on. You have got to take this right to the foot of the cross. You have got to remind yourself that this is part of the reason Jesus had to die because of sins like this. You've got to take these things to him. And you've got to confess them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 And if these things, it's, this has to be said, If these things have come out into the open, in other words, if you've acted on them and not merely just thought them, then you probably need to confess them to those you've acted unloving towards. So is there a relationship in this room where you've put distance between yourself and them because of these things? Is there a person you've gossiped about? Is there a person you've intentionally avoided in the halls? Are you undermining somebody's reputation? Brothers and sisters, we have got to walk in the light of heavenly wisdom. This, all of this stuff, this yuck is the wisdom so-called that comes from below. We want to walk in the wisdom from above. And that's where James turns next in verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this is the wisdom that's from above. 
And when it says this is the wisdom that's from above, it just means it's from God. I think of James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So this wisdom from above is the wisdom from God. And this wisdom can be understood, in just like the last, in three different questions. What does it look like? Where does it come from? And where does it lead? So what does it look like? Well, the wisdom from above is first pure. It's morally upright. So how this works in our relationships is that this makes no space for for posturing or manipulating to serve your own interest. To operate in purity, relationally speaking, is to be like Nathaniel. You remember what Jesus said about Nathaniel? He said, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Just honest, straightforward, no hidden agenda. Go through the front door with people and be honest. I I think to people, even people in the church, I think we struggle to believe this is really true. I think we struggle to believe Are you really pastor? Are you really brother or sister? Are you really going to relate to me with no agenda? With no pretense? Without any catches? You actually, pastor, brother, sister, you actually love me based upon the gospel alone? (laughs) You're actually okay with my personality quirks and how I'm different from you based upon the gospel alone? You actually want to build me up when you speak to me? Even when you speak hard truth to me? You're simply motivated by my good? Are you kidding me? What's your angle? I don't have an angle. Pure. You don't have an angle. Pure. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. And it's peaceable. (laughs) This is so glorious. It's focused on diffusing conflict, de-escalating conflict, not throwing out barbs, even if they're true in conflict. The peaceable person is not going to go around saying inflammatory things about others and then justify them with the simple, just saying, you know? Or, hey, 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 it's true. <laughs> right? It's peaceable. The wisdom from above is pure. It's peaceable. It's, it's gentle. The wisdom from above is gentle. It doesn't relate to others in a way that, that quickly raises their hackles. You know, you can relate to people in a way that just kind of sets them into a bit of an adversarial posture, Right? Uh, you know, you, you know this is true. You're talking to somebody, the way they relate to you just immediately puts you on the defensive and you're ready for either fight or flight. It's not gentle. It's not gentle. You don't want to go around unnecessarily ruffling feathers. You don't want to go around being the guy. Here's a, here's a way to think about it. Don't be the guy that people have to quote scripture to themselves to in order to deal with you. Okay? Don't, don't be that guy. Okay? Gentleness is the order of the day. And we should be particularly mindful of this when we confront one another with sin, and we should also be particularly mindful of this when we are the ones who are being confronted with sin. Gentleness is the order of the day. 
The wisdom that is from above is gentle, and it is also open to reason. Sometimes babies aren't open to reason, but we love them. (laughs) So I think we should think about being open to reason in two ways. First of all, when somebody is talking to you. So your interpretation of a verse, someone challenges that in home group and just says very straightforwardly, hey, that's not what that means. Are you open to reason, right? So things aren't well at home and you ask for input. Are you open to reason, right? So you you can't figure out why your relationships often sour. Are you open to reason? But it goes the other way too. Are you open to reason when when you're talking? I'm, I'm sorry. When you're talking to someone else, so so you talk to someone, they explain themselves to you. Are you open to reason concerning what they said? Are you open to reason concerning their explanation, their, what they meant when they communicated such and such? Are you open to reason regarding how they're thinking and how they're relating? Or are you just going to hold on to your interpretation no matter what? Are you open to reason? The wisdom that is from above is full of mercy. I, I just think about, I think about being eager I think about being willing. I think about being happy to quickly forgive and move on. I I think about being eager, willing, and happy to not harbor things or keep a record of wrong. I I think of being mindful of the reality that, that you are a sinner and you need the mercy of God. So how in the world could you not be merciful to others who need the mercy of God in the gospel? The wisdom that is from above has been impacted by the gospel and so we're merciful because mercy has been shown to us. Amen. And it's full of good fruit. (laughs) It's like a a basket of fruit that's fresh and lovely and wonderful and it's just inviting and it's warm and it's encouraging and others want to be around you full of good fruit. Impartial. You're not partial towards others. You're you're not just based upon your personality or your bent giving yourself to certain people and not others. You, you, you try to love generously all of those who are your brothers and sisters. You're not partial. And you're sincere. You're sincere. I think this is so similar to purity. You, you're just honest in your dealings. You're not posturing. You're not manipulating. You're not maneuvering. Who, who doesn't get exhausted by that in the world? Sheesh shouldn't be the case in the church. We should be sincere. Well, where does all this come from? Well, the wisdom of the world came from below, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But the wisdom from above is from above. And it looks a lot like Jesus, who himself came from above, who himself demonstrated all of these characteristics in his life and ministry to their fullness. It looks like Jesus. And we, this is simple, we should look like Jesus. 
We should look like Jesus because Jesus is our Savior who died on the cross for our sin of selfishness and jealousy and then rose from the grave. And when we turn and trust in him, we are forgiven of those things. He gives to us his spirit and his spirit begins to work in our hearts such that we look more and more and more like him. So it's so entirely reasonable that James would say, your life should reflect the wisdom from above because you've been saved by a Savior who's come from above and demonstrated these things in his life, given his life for you and then given his spirit in you to bring him to himself. We are being conformed into his image. This is about the gospel's work in our heart. And so you shouldn't be thinking about this in terms of a list of to-dos. So I know some of you, I love some of you. I'm a to-do list guy too, so I'll throw myself under the bus too. But it's not like, okay, I think I've, I think I got the purity thing, I think I got this thing, I think I got that thing, I don't have the this thing, don't have the that thing. 25% of the this, 75% of the other one. No, 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 Just think, of, it's Christ-like character. It's not a to-do list. It's Christ-like character. Are you growing in becoming like Christ. That's the call here. And then imagine this. What would our church look like if we were all pursuing Christ-like character? Imagine the contrast that would be between us and the world if we were all pursuing Christ-like character. I tell you what it'd look like. Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This should be contrasted with what came before. What was the result of the wisdom from above? Disorder and every vile practice. What is the result from wisdom that is from above? A harvest of righteousness. A community which is a reflection of of the wisdom from above, which is all of these wonderful relational things. A harvest of righteousness is just the fruit of all of these things among us. If we're giving ourselves to these things, if we are making peace and sowing in peace, then we're going to reap a harvest of righteousness in the community of faith that is going to be winsome, glorious, peaceful, wonderful, Happy, sweet, God-glorifying and gospel-displaying. And the world will come among us and they will say, My, these people have something I don't. And so the question that we need to all be asking ourselves is this. Am I a sower of peace? Am I a sower of peace in how I think and how I speak and how I act am I sowing the seeds of peace in order to reap a harvest of righteousness that will result in a community displaying the glory of God to a world that's as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. 
By God's grace, may this be ever more true of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his work on our behalf in the gospel. And we ask, Father, that by your spirit you would continue to transform us into his image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.